We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. One of the best pieces of feedback that I've gotten during the pandemic with the masterminds that I run is that principals are enjoying talking about instruction and not just talking about COVID rules and regulations. It's one of the great things that we get to do in the mastermind is focus on the things that really matter. And sometimes we try to focus on other things, on the distractions that take us away from our vision, but we're always able to come back because our whole goal is to help us get our schools to where they need to be. So I would love to have you in there. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've probably heard me talk about it before. You probably have questions. Just go to jethrojones.com slash mastermind and let's set up a time to to talk about it. That's jethrojones.com slash mastermind and then click on schedule a call. I look forward to talking with you. Again, that's jethrojones.com slash mastermind. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am very excited to have as my guest today, Dr. Kirk Wheeler. He has been the head of STS School or St. Thomas School uh, since July 2005 and has been in education for 30 years. Previously, he served as the preschool through 12 curriculum coordinator and lower school principal at the American School of Rio de Janeiro, a classroom teacher at Vail Mountain School and supervisor for the Summer Mountain Program for the town of Vail. His teaching experience includes physical education, Spanish, first through fourth grades, and middle school language arts, my personal favorite as well. His leadership philosophy is 
embodied in the phrase educational leadership through partnership. Dr. Wheeler believes that two elements define 21st century schools, relationships, and edge work. We're going to talk about edge work here in a little bit, but first, Dr. Wheeler, welcome to Transformative Principle. Oh, great. Thank you so much. Really nice to be here. So first, tell us a little bit about St. Thomas School, what that school is like, what makes it unique from others. And there's a bunch of awards that it has won that uh, we didn't get to, but I'm sure you'll do a better job explaining that than me reading about those. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so St. Thomas School, uh, we uh, were founded in 1951. So by West Coast standards, that makes us a pretty old independent school. The name comes from the fact that we were originally founded by uh, St. Thomas Church. We share the property, even though now we're non-sectarian and fully independent, but have remained good neighbors, good partners with the church. So yes, we've been around for a while. We were preschool through eighth grade, about 375 students. And we sit in a lovely campus just next to Bellevue, Medina, Washington, And it's an extraordinary place. The school really, just by reputation, focuses uh, on academics. We've got very high uh, standards and expectations for our students. And right alongside with that, I don't think you can separate academics from character. It's a very strong character program as well. So that's just a little bit about the school. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, So let's talk a little bit about that character education and what that looks like for your school. And character is one of those things where it's easy to tell if somebody doesn't have character and it can sometimes be difficult to teach explicitly. So how do you guys go about that? And what are the the core tenets of that work? We've had something called our core virtues, core values for many years. And that actually forms the foundation of so much of what we do. And so think about respect and responsibility, courage, there's nine of them total and that's sort of the bedrock and so when we think about either teaching character explicitly in a life skills program or in a morning circle program in the elementary years everything comes back to those uh, core values those uh, core virtues so that's where we begin what i've really appreciated about uh, this school is this isn't you know the sort of school where gosh it's october so we're going to talk about respect this month right and we'll talk about responsibility the next month those are woven into every experience woven into the academic program in addition to those uh, life skills program so that that's kind of the bedrock of how we develop our programs Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's really something where if you're going to teach character, then teaching it not just month by month, but in context of actions that are happening is really important. And um, and even though you guys are are not affiliated parochially with St. Thomas, you still have things like things where you're trying to develop students spiritually as well. And how does how does that plan where you're non-sectarian, but you're still trying to help kids understand that part of themselves? Well, the, welcome to my marketing challenge. Right? <laughs> St. Thomas School that's non-sectarian, and yet uh, we do focus also on one's uh, spiritual, uh, emotional, academic growth. And we begin every day with a community meeting that's called chapel, that term is quite familiar to Episcopal schools um, that are out there, but we've kept that despite being fully independent. And we begin every day with chapel. We bring our students together, our faculty, staff together every day. It's one of the primary ways that we build community, a sense of belonging. It's one of the ways that we build on those core virtues that I was uh, talking about. 
And it's an invitation into a journey where students really explore their own spiritual growth, certainly affirming their own families, religious practices, uh, practices their own faith. But there's a sense that we can come together regardless of our spiritual or religious backgrounds and have commonalities. So we begin every day that way. It's actually really delightful. And imagine, you know, if you come in as a preschooler or a kindergartner, you know, that journey is 10, 12 years long here at St. Thomas School. So that's a lot of opportunities to lean into that exploration. Yeah, I think that's really powerful and definitely something that I think one of the the challenges that regular public schools are facing is trying to teach kids to have beliefs and staying very far away from religious beliefs. And it sounds like you're finding a way to make it work um, and to respect people's values and where they come from, but then also to reaffirm, like you still need to have values. And I think that's a really key piece that's important for all of our society to maintain those values that we do have. I agree. And, you know, you touched on something that it's, it really is a challenge for schools because one can teach about uh, Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, you know, the world religions, which we weave into this chapel program also, and really make clear that our place is to really affirm and support families' values, families' decisions around faith and religion. You know, we're not inviting students to practice in a particular way, but really if one is to uh, be a global citizen, our belief is that you have to understand the role that religion plays, whether it be in politics, how people live their lives, how they make decisions. And, you know, there are many, many, obviously, religions in the world, but we focus on the top five that really guide most people's own spiritual and religious lives uh, across the globe. Well, and and I appreciate that because if you try to take an academic approach to it, then it's talking about just the history and what happened and why they believe what they believe. But if you aren't also trying to help people reaffirm their own family's values, then it becomes the sterilized, meaningless thing that billions of people's lives are founded on that. And yet it's this completely academic thing that doesn't really help. So anyway, I just, I appreciate that. I think that's really important. Also, I want to talk about one of the the core beliefs you have there, which is edge work. So tell us about edge work, what that means. And let's talk about a little bit more about that. Yeah, sure. So uh, edge work is, is something that has guided my professional and I'd say personal uh, journey for decades, uh, early in my educational career. And I guess just kind of paint a visual, edge work means doing this work on the edge. Inside the edge is our comfort zone, right? We're high in our confidence. We're within our our capacity. It's familiar, far over the edge. Um, Think of it as the panic zone, right? We're not doing a lot of learning. We're not doing a lot of growing because we are in fact panicking. And the goal is to be right on the edge, a foot in the comfort zone, a foot over the edge, and that's the growth zone. That is where we're, we're learning new skills. We're expanding our confidence. And in that visual, I guess I would say the more work you do on the edge, then you know that comfort zone expands. And there's more that fits within your comfort zone and your confidence and your, your capabilities. And so then you have to expand the edge out a little bit further, uh, certainly for me personally and professionally. But all of us at St. Thomas School including students. I I love the fact that I now hear students talk about edge work. Uh, They're struggling with something academically. They're struggling with making a decision, being a good friend. I will actually hear them say, 
oh my gosh, Dr. Wheeler, like this is this is edge work for me. This is hard. And I, I think somewhere in there is kind of that magic too, that when you are transparent about the edge work and you invite other people in to that edge work, uh, that's really affirming. I, I think people then see other role models and we then as adults are really, I think, showing our students that even as adult learners, we're doing our own edge work too. So it really starts permeating uh, a school, I think, in some really pretty magical ways. Yeah. And it also implies a growth mindset approach that your edge circle can get bigger and it can expand. And what I think is really valuable about that is recognizing that that you do grow and develop and that you're not just stagnant. And it's too easy to get into that mode of, oh, I can't do that because I'm not artistic or creative or whatever the case may be. And that was something for me that I learned just not too long ago. I'm kind of embarrassed to say (laughs) not too long ago. um, I thought that creativity was about creating art or something like that. And I'd already been doing this podcast for several years before I realized that and realized that being creative was not just relating to artistic endeavors, but to the act of creation and making something from nothing, which is what, you know, a podcast is. And once I realized that, then it really changed my perspective. I felt like creative work was in the growth zone, like beyond the edge. And now I realize as I look back at my life, I've been on the edge with a lot of different creative endeavors. And as soon as it got too artistic, then I would shut it down and say, I can't do that because I'm not artistic. The way that you're describing it, though, makes me feel much, much better about it because it, it helps me see some some opportunities for growth that I may not have seen before. So what are some things in your professional life where you have used edge work to help you do better and be better with what you're learning? Right. Well, we're living the experience probably in a way that we never have before with the pandemic. And, uh, you know, thank goodness, uh, as a school, we had been cultivating this mindset, doing our edge work, exercising uh, that edge work muscle um, over the years, because suddenly we found ourselves in, you know, uh, the grown zone, far outside of our comfort zones, far outside of our uh, expertise. And yet we had the tools uh, to begin to uh, apply and kind of work through that. So this last year absolutely has been really significant in in terms of that edge work and and how to work through that. You know, there's some classic structures, I guess, within edge work that have become really important. And one is you need others, right? If you're out there over the edge, taking risks, uh, exploring something new, you can't do it alone, I often use, you know, pulling from climbing. I I used to climb a lot when I was a little bit younger and, you know, having, you know, somebody on belay, somebody else has your rope. um, You know, that's a classic sense of edge work. And I think we realized that we couldn't do it alone. So in this case, counting on each other, uh, whether it be at the board level, faculty, staff, parent support, but other schools too, right? Asking questions, you know, what are you doing? What's working for you? How did you reach those decisions? So really making sure that we were connecting. Um, it goes back to that relationship piece, which for me really partners with Edgework and you can't do it alone. So that's been something we've really uh, had to work on as we've worked through this past year. I guess I would say also, um, and I think this is hard for schools. And so one of my beliefs and something that I just talk about all the time 
we celebrate corporations who talk about, you know, failing fast and failing forward, but nobody wants to do that in a school, right? We don't talk about failure, like we can't make a mistake. And, and it's so strange to me that, you know, as the adults, parent perspective, board perspective, leadership perspective, you know, get it figured out, don't make a mistake and then launch it. And we've really worked hard as a school to say, you know, it has to be good enough and then get going because you're actually going to learn more because now you're in the thick of it and you're implementing and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to learn from the mistakes. And I think it's so interesting that we find that hard as adults in schools, but that's what we want our students to do. We want them to take risks. We forget that they're watching us. They're all watching the adults. If they're surrounded by adults who are seemingly never making a mistake, it doesn't serve as a very good role model for our students. I think, again, connecting it to the pandemic, but even before then, failing forward and learning through mistakes has been a really big part of this for me personally and for the school. Well, and part of the reason why we don't want to learn from our mistakes or we don't want to make mistakes, excuse me, we do want to learn from them, but we don't want to make them in schools is because we're dealing with people's children, right? And so we think that everything has to be perfect and we put a tremendous amount of pressure on ourselves that we can never live up to because you're never going to always have a perfect lesson. You're going to make mistakes and it's it's easy for us to think that we can put on a facade and that it's going to look all perfect. But the reality is, is that we are going to make mistakes. And rather than taking those and moving forward, we often try to hide those or disguise them and make it so that it's not as big a deal that we failed. And we don't talk about those things that are failures and we hide those behind. But when we do that, that's when I think it gets back to this piece about Edgework getting us outside of our comfort zone that we say, look, I went out and tried this and it didn't work. And, you know, I, by the time this comes out, I will have finished editing a podcast where I've interviewed four different people separately. And I'm trying to put it together like an NPR podcast. And I have delayed and avoided doing that Kirk for so long because I, I don't want to grow in that area right now, but I do want to grow in there. (laughs) So that, I don't know how that's going to come out, but by the time this is released, that should have been done, but I'm just nervous and anxious about it. And I don't want to finish doing it, but it's sitting there taunting me saying, Jethro, come on, come and do it. And what I appreciate so much about what you said is that I need other people. I need to start doing it and then send it to someone for some feedback so they can say this is good or not good or whatever. And then I can start moving down that path. But the, the fear of not doing that well is really crippling me for no good reason right now. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says Stop Talking and Start Doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast.
that's right. I, I so appreciate you sharing that because it's it's a reminder of, I think, another important quality, whether it be in leadership or just doing creative work. And that's being vulnerable and that's being transparent about the fear, what's holding you back. And I'm a big believer. You know, what you gave is just a bit of a disclaimer, right? Saying, hey, this is the edge work I'm doing. This is hard. This is the fear that's sitting in my head. And I, I need feedback. And I need help. And at some point, it's going to be good enough and you're going to go. And, you know, that's all that's all classic edge work right there. I think that's awesome. So how are some ways that you incorporate this into the school with the kids? I mean, you gave a couple of examples before, but let's drill down a little bit more about some specific things that a teacher or a principal could do who's listening to this. What can they take away to start implementing this in their school? Well, I, I, I think... You know, naming it, right? Calling it out and being really clear that edge work, taking risks matters, right? And then I think alignment and and making sure that there's actually structures that are, for lack of a better term, rewarding that, right? I think sometimes we talk big about we want to fail forward, we want to take risks, we want students to, you know, learn through their failures. And then we have grading systems or feedback systems that are that have nothing to do with that. It's like I didn't get the right answer. I've been thinking lately even about faculty um, uh, and staff performance reviews. What do those look like when we're encouraging people to really have a growth mindset and to keep learning? So we might preach that, and yet if the performance reviews sort of put everybody back in the box and say, you know, these are the boxes that you have to tick. I would say to teachers, you know, really look at your assessments, really look at your feedback. And if you want students to be learning through their failures, that that word doesn't even quite work in this context, but think about how you're assessing their learning um, and reinforcing those good efforts. So looking for alignment, I think, uh, between those assessments. So that's Certainly one thing. Um, I think teachers, school leaders can also model. There's something really powerful when something doesn't go as intended or as well as you had expected. That's not always obvious to other people. I mean, it's certainly a little more obvious while we're doing, you know, hybrid and remote teaching, right? If something goes wrong with the slides that we're trying to show, it's a little more obvious. But sometimes it's only in your own head that you're realizing, oh, that didn't go very well. I don't like what I just did or how I said it. But I think naming it and calling it out becomes a really powerful uh, opportunity for students to see that you're struggling with it too, and things aren't always uh, perfect. You know, we started talking about leadership. So I guess the last example, I'm a huge believer in giving students leadership opportunities. But inherent in those opportunities, whether it's public speaking or they're helping to facilitate, is, again, these goofs, things that don't go well. And I think using those as teachable moments and just kind of pushing pause and saying, okay, let's rewind. Let's try that again. How did that go for you? Do you want to try it again? Those are, I think, really powerful tools. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that is a good example of that from my experience was we had a student council that wanted to start recognizing kids for their birthdays. And so we started talking about it in September, Kirk. And then before they finally got something out that was consistent, recognizing kids' birthdays, Mm -hmm. it was February. And so it took us months to get to the point 
where they were actually recognizing kids' birthdays, which is something that they wanted to do. And it took us that long because they were struggling with doing it. And so instead of us saying, well, here's how you do it. And here's how we're going to make it work in our school. We continue to go back to them and give them that opportunity to make that decision for themselves. And yes, some kids didn't get their birthdays recognized. That's okay because kids never got their birthdays recognized. Once they did though, then they were able to sustain it. And it wasn't something that they had to rely on the principal to get it done or somebody else to get it done. They cared about it enough that they finally got to that point. And watching them struggle through that was maddening, Kirk, but (laughs) at least they finally figured it out. And that was the good thing. And that's what we appreciate about them really trying hard to make it happen. Right. And what I love about that story, Jethro, is it's a reminder that what mattered most wasn't the recognition of birthdays. I mean, at the surface, that was the goal. But I mean, it was the leadership. It was the decision making. It was, you know, students having responsibility. And so I, I love that story. It's really powerful. Um, so the final question that I ask is, what is one thing that a principal can do to be a transformative principal like you, Kirk? I am a huge believer in journaling and reflecting but I came across a tool that I think is transformative and it's a five-year journal. So I don't know if you've heard of this before, but I'll describe it a little bit. Cause when you say a five-year journal, people who don't love to write journals, you know, kind of throw their hands up in the air and say, Oh my gosh, that sounds like the, yeah. the so, worst thing in the world. Right. Sounds super overwhelming from right. the very name of it. Exactly. So this is what's so great about a five-year journal. So when you open it up, uh, picture five sections right on one one page and there's maybe five lines and write down april 19th and you've got about five lines to reflect on your day and i'm a, a huge believer in you know reflecting connecting it to what your intentions were at the beginning of the day you know what really stands out you turn to the next page the next day on you go the magic happens when you come back a year later And now it's April 19th, 2022, and I'm writing in the second section. And then I move through the year three, I'm writing in the third section. So before you know it, you are writing in a section, again, five lines, but all you have to do is look up and you see what you were thinking about and reflecting on the year before and the year before. And I think it is such a powerful tool to align our goals, what we say we want to be doing to move our schools forward, and what we're actually doing. And I think it's really a really uh, such a tremendously powerful tool, because that I think we often don't align those, right? We spend our time doing some things that aren't actually moving our schools forward. They're not actually transforming our schools. So journal sounds daunting, but it's magical. Oh, I bet. I think that would be so cool to go through and finish the book and then go back and start on that first day you started and say, where was I at a year ago? And then over time to see that. Right. So imagine I've been writing. So for example, in the last six weeks, as I've been writing, I've been seeing what I wrote a year ago when the pandemic, right, closed all of our campuses and where we were the year before. And, and that's been pretty extraordinary to be able to go back and see what was going through my mind a year ago. Yeah, I know I'm putting you on the spot, Kirk, but is there something from that you could share and something that you 
just thought was really poignant that you wrote a year ago or something. I'll give you a second to think about it by sharing something that I did. <laughs> I texted my friend, Damon Hargraves, uh, who's used to be an assistant principal with me. And I said, the pandemic is going to be over by Easter and no, or I didn't call it a pandemic. Then I said, COVID-19 is going to be over by Easter and nobody's going to be thinking about it anymore. And I thought, you know, this was just something that was blown out of proportion, no big deal. And here we are a year later, it's still going full force. That was something where I was like, boy, I sure was naive to think that it wasn't that big a deal and we were just going to get over it. But anything that you can think from your journal that you remember? Yeah, for sure. I think I had the opposite feeling and it was more intuition. And I wrote about my fear. I mean, I think I have a pretty big heart. I think that I can wrap my arms around an awful lot of people and take good care of them. And I was worried that I would not be able to take good enough care of everyone and and not just you know, so that people wouldn't have COVID, but the so the emotional, the social toll uh, and, and needs that people would have. And I felt as a school leader overwhelmed. I, I was really frightened. Um, and, and I don't mean about the logistics, right? I'm good at that, right? And we'd, we'd figure it out, right? We'd develop a schedule. We'd, we'd deploy the right technology. It was all about caring for people emotionally that felt really um, overwhelming and really hard. So that's what I was writing about a year ago. And how do you feel that you have done with that? Uh, It's still hard. I think I've learned a lot. Uh, I have always been a leader who has focused on integrity. I I have focused on intention. I'm a very intentional school leader. Interest, right? Curiosity, that's always driven me. I've had to really recognize that... um, even in communications, it's not just about information and data. I think I've always believed that I can give enough information and people are like, great, good. I feel good. Thank you. And suddenly I find myself having to remember that everybody's having an emotional journey with COVID. Mm. We need data, right? We need the science, we need the data, but we're all having an emotional journey around it. And and we have to talk about that too and, and support that. So that's ongoing. Right. I think every day brings some new challenges about just taking good care of people. So I feel like I can look at myself in the mirror every day and and I'm able to say I'm doing the very best that I can do. And as a school leader, you have to also have the courage to look in the mirror and say, but it's not always going to be enough either. And I think it's hard to have those two feelings, those two thoughts at the same time. Yeah, for sure. I can say just by the brief time we've talked that your edge circle has probably grown tremendously uh, for caring for people over this time. Uh, What I heard you talk about as we were talking was how much you do care about the people that you work with. And that has definitely come through. Appreciate you being here, being part of Transformative Principle. It's been great to talk with you and learn from you. And I appreciate you taking the time to share your wisdom with uh, the listeners of Transformative Principle. Oh, Jethro, thanks so much. It's really been a privilege to talk to you. Thank you. Hey, middle school principals. What if I told you that all your teachers had to do to teach your students really valuable social and emotional competencies was just press play? In Control SEL is a fully automated video curriculum that teachers and students absolutely love. And that's because it's easy. And it looks just like a Netflix or a YouTube show. 
So all you have to do to hear about how it can completely transform your school is schedule your call. Tell us Jethro sent you and you'll get 20% off if you feel like it's a good fit. So go now to www.incontrolsel.com slash strategy call to schedule your call today. The link will be in the show notes. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.